Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, and we receive the word of the Lord today in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has lost 10 silver coins and loses, has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We pray that you would speak to us through your holy word day by day, week by week, that we would hear from you, Lord, and know the loving God of a Father who pursues us in grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this is a a very exciting day. We start this adventure together. We're going to have seven weeks together in one chapter of Scripture, Luke chapter 15. And, uh, And in that chapter of Scripture is this famous story, the parable of the prodigal Son. And we get to have it not only in the text before us, but as we come into church, we get to have it all over the walls. Isn't that powerful? Have you seen some things that have moved you? So we're going to be living in this story right through Easter, and it's a great privilege. It's really exciting. So now, what is a parable? What is a parable? A parable is a little bit different from a story. It's a little bit different from an illustration. A parable is, is kind of a story with a point. It's a story that maybe supports a larger argument or illustrates what the speaker is trying to teach, but Jesus' parables go even beyond that. Jesus' parables reveal the kingdom of God, and they almost always turn our values up on, up on their head. They turn things over. Sometimes we walk away from Jesus' parables with more questions in our mind than answers, but they never fail. They never fail to reveal something of the nature and character of God. Well, today, we learn that God is a God who loves, who waits, and who pursues to seek and to save the lost. When I was a kid, we had a a dog that I grew up with named Lad. Lad was a golden retriever, beautiful, beautiful animal, but unfortunately and sadly, an idiot among dogs. He had all the looks going for him, but no smarts. He was kind of a, a mimbo, or, you know, or for a dog, a dimbo. No? Think about that on the way home. 
Yeah, he was a, you know, he was a good-looking dog. He was a good animal, you know, but um, apart from the looks, everything else that he had was the obvious product of generations of aggressive inbreeding. And um, one of the things that would happen is whenever a lightning storm came through, Lad would just go berserk. Lad would just go crazy. He'd be chewing everything that he could find. He'd try to dig his way out of the house by digging under the carpet and the subfloor, and, and uh, he would claw the doors, and one day he even broke a pane glass window trying to gnaw his way out. Uh, he just would lose it, and he would run away. Lad would run away constantly. So one of the enduring memories of my childhood is being out in the car with my mom and, and with all the windows down, driving through all the neighborhoods, yelling out the windows, Lad! Lad! And the people must have thought we were nuts. You know, we were nuts. I remember one time when he ran away and we, we seriously thought about whether or not to get in the car, you know? We debated. Should we go? And he obviously doesn't want to live here. Maybe we just let him... Then we thought about Lad, lost, alone in the world, scared, dumb. (laughs) And we got in the car to go get him. Because no matter how silly he was, he was a companion to us. And we weren't going to let him stay lost. Do you know God is like that? His love is like that. His love is like that. Do you know anybody that's lost? Do you know anybody that feels a little outmatched by the world, who feels a little confused, a little burdened, who feels like they're not sure uh, where they are? Maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering, is there a way home for me? God is a God who pursues the lost. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it starts with some very important information at the outset. Information that if you don't get this, you won't really follow the rest of what Jesus talks about. In verses 1 and 2, we get the audience that Jesus is addressing. Now look at these verses. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so, so who was there? Who was present? It's quite a mix, isn't it? This is a rare mix. You've got four types of people in two categories. They're rarely all sitting together. First, you have the tax collectors and sinners. Now, I love how they have to be separated out. It's two categories, right? Sinners is pretty much anything that uh, someone could have, could have done. They've failed to live up to the moral standards, the religious standards. There could be any host of things that would have you fall into that category, sinners. Tax collectors, though, that's very specific. When Rome would conquer a land, they would sell the right to gather taxes from different areas. And a tax collector had to turn in a certain amount of money each period to Rome. But then they could gather whatever they wanted and keep it, whatever they could coerce from all the people around them. So tax collectors, they were the lowest. These were traitors and thieves, you could say. So it isn't that the tax collectors don't want to be lumped in with the sinners. It's that the sinners don't want to be lumped in with the tax collectors. <laughs> Brother, I may be a sinner, but I'm no tax collector. And there they are. And then you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're not so different from each other, you know. That's just two ways 
of being holier than thou. You've got the do-rights and the know-it-alls, the Pharisees and the teachers. But there they all are, all mixed together, all of these people listening to Jesus. They've all come, and from wherever they've come, they want to hear Jesus. They need to hear Jesus. But then the problem, you look at verse 2. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, they grumbled. He eats with sinners and welcomes them. This isn't right, they thought. They, they weren't offended that Jesus talks to sinners. That's fine. You can talk to sinners. You can teach them. You can, you can exhort them. That's not the offense. What makes them upset is that the tax collectors and the sinners, they come in and Jesus mixes with them. He welcomes them. He receives them. He wraps his arms around them. You know, Rabbi, you can talk to people like that, but you don't talk with people like that. No, you can stand on a high moral tower and, and push those people around and pass judgment on them, but you don't, you don't wrap your arms around them. And Jesus wrapped his arms around them. He welcomed them. He received them. He eats with them. See, eating with someone, that's even, more, that's even more intimate. It's even more affirming than letting them be around you, right? You're going to eat together at table. Jesus eats with them. So the high religious, they hate that. They hate it. So the stage is set. As you see, the high religious and the powerful watching Jesus welcome and gather the, the immoral, the lowly, the, the rejected, all of these folks... Jesus tells these three stories. The third one is the prodigal. The first two we'll get today. So the first one, Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. Man has a hundred sheep, he says, loses one. Doesn't he go out and find the one he lost? He says, doesn't he leave the 99 and go find it? Or better translated, better translated, Jesus challenges them quite directly. He says, what man among you would not? Which man among you would not leave the 99 and go find the one? That's how he challenges them. Now the Pharisees, they're already on their heels because um, they wouldn't really even talk about shepherding. They considered shepherding to be an unclean business. It was a lowly profession. They were called people of the land. Keeping animals was a dirty and isolating and kind of an odd uh, job. So the Pharisees didn't know anything about shepherding. They wouldn't know what to do with 10 sheep, let alone 100. And Jesus is asking them, well, isn't this right? The Pharisees don't know what to do. But Jesus makes the point. He brings it home. A good shepherd seeks the lost one and carries it home. Or what if you're a woman losing a coin? The coin's about a day's wage. Doesn't a woman losing a coin uh, burn oil and search urgently until she finds it? Makes the point, the lost are pursued until they come home. And then the meaning of these parables comes real clear in the end of each one. Verse 7, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In the same way, verse 10, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. This verse is actually really precious to me because um, when I was a, a teenager and I, I gave my life to Christ at a Young Life camp, recognized his love, my volunteer Young Life leader uh, opened his Bible to this verse and with tears in his eyes, he said to me, Tim, you can't hear it, but in heaven, angels are singing because you've come home to the Lord tonight. So it's not about coins, it's not about sheep, it's about souls coming home to the Lord. So let's, let's pin this down, the first point. Before I start stirring up the subtext for you, let's have the main thing be the main thing. The shepherd goes out, finds the sheep, brings it home. The woman finds the coin, captures it, and then what, what do they do? They have a party. They gather. They gather their friends and their neighbors. They say, come on, celebrate with me. Let's have a party. She calls her friends and what? Neighbors. Friends and that, there's no word wasted here in Jesus' parables, okay? That's a point too. Friends and neighbors. Are your neighbors aware when God is at work in your life? Do your neighbors know when God has done something in your life? Or is it just your friends? They gather their friends and neighbors. Do you follow? And party. But let's, let's let the main point be the main point. The main point is this. Jesus wants the righteous to celebrate when the lost are saved and redeemed. That's what he wants. He wants to see the party. Not the grumbling, the muttering, the worrying, the anxious hand ringing, oh no, another one of those. Jesus wants us joyful at the repentance of sinners. Jesus wants us happy when the lost get home. He wants us to want to see that happening. He wants us to be longing in our heart to see that occur. And then he wants to see us celebrate when it comes. And let's make this note too. The the rejoicing is not over the welcome, but the repentance. It's not the welcome that causes the angels to rejoice, but the repentance. Jesus welcomes with open arms. He eats with, he gathers, he gathers up, but then... Even as he welcomes us, he also calls us to stop heading in our disobedient, contrary, resistant, rebellious spirit and turn around and come home. Repent means turn around. The angels sing because the lost is found. The lost is found not when the lost is welcomed, but when the lost turns around and is saved. When the sheep stops running away, running off, and allows the grasp of the shepherd. When the coin stops slipping deeper, darker into the cracks and crevices of the floor and feels the grasp of the woman lifting. When there's salvation and repentance. Okay, that's the main thing. Now let's go deeper. Are these parables good advice? Is this good advice? Jesus says to the group, what man among you would not leave 99? He makes a point to say, in the wilderness, to go and to seek and save the one. And the Pharisees must have been thinking, well, what man among us would not do? Well, that's probably me. I mean, that sounds like a super dumb idea. 
I'm not a shepherd, but... Well, what woman among you in losing a coin wouldn't burn oil to find the coin? They'd probably think, well, well that'd probably be me again because uh, I mean, I dropped the coin. I dropped it in the house. I know it's in the house. It's going to turn up. I can wait for the sun to come up and open a window and find the coin, right? What one among you wouldn't burn oil? See, neither one of these is strategically a great idea. Uh, my brother's a financial advisor. He would advise against both of these plans, Okay? Risk 99 to possibly find one. Burn oil out of some sense of urgency for a coin that you pretty much know where it is. No, these parables are not strategic advice. You know, as a, as a Christian leader, I've had people turn that 99-1 parable against me like uh, uh, Jesus left the 99 and, and he got the one. So you should take my agenda as the most important agenda. You know, you should care for me and forget everybody else. No, 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 no. First of all, Jesus didn't do that. He told a story about it. And then secondly, wherever we learn about church leadership, we learn that we're to shepherd the whole flock of God. You don't abandon the mission for the purpose of, of one personal issue, one personal agenda. We've got to keep going. But the point is this. These are not strategies. These are parables. Pastors and scholars, they've bent themselves into pretzels trying to make sense of these actions that Jesus prescribes. But they don't make sense. And even if you could come up with some way that risking the 99 to save the one made some economic sense or burning the oil to find the coin made some economic sense, well, then what do they do at the end? They throw a giant party. So they blow whatever profit they made by deciding to, you know, to save the, the thing. Not parables, not strategies, not strategies, parables to reveal the nature of God. God is a God who pursues and he is not assessing the risk and he is not counting the cost and he does not balk at the burden that may come. God is a God who pursues. As soon as God knows his children are lost and in danger, God goes in active and passionate pursuit. Think of uh, in Genesis 3 in the fall uh, when Adam and Eve, they turn disobediently from the Lord and they turn from his sight, and then they're hiding. They're hiding behind uh, the trees in Genesis 3 and, and in verse 8. And then what does God do? What does God do? He comes. He shows up. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? God is a God who pursues. Now, what about the shepherd? Why the shepherd? Why not something the group could relate to better? Why does Jesus tell a story about a shepherd? Well, Jesus is leaning on a long tradition of Scripture revealing God is our good shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You can find it in Jeremiah 23 and Isaiah 40 or, or in this passage from Ezekiel 34. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered. 
Jesus is saying, for all of your religious exposure, for all of your great learning, have you missed the heart of God? Have you missed the heart of God? That God is a God who seeks. God is a shepherd who seeks and saves the sheep when they are lost. And Jesus is saying, my ministry is this. I'm a shepherd who rescues. He's saying, I am the Messiah that was foretold in these scriptures. I'm showing you the heart of God. I am God. And I am here to seek and to save. And I will not lose a single one of my sheep. But you know, when the sheep is found, that's just the beginning. The shepherd lifts the sheep, right? Lays it on his shoulders, carries it home. It's not a lamb, it's a sheep. Sheep are heavy. And he he throws it over his shoulders and he says he carries it home. Now, if you can imagine the terrain where Jesus is talking about this, if you can imagine the rocks, the gullies, the, the dry air, the sun, everything that he has to get through to carry that sheep home. Jesus is talking about a burden here. There's a burden. The shepherd has found the lost sheep, but he's got to carry him home. And the shepherd, he lifts that sheep up, and he carries that sheep home, and he does it, what? Joyfully. Jesus knows there's a burden to be born, to get you home from where you are in your disobedience and sin, and he is not counting the cost. He will bear that burden joyfully. In fact, he has. When he bore our sins in his body on the cross, Jesus has carried that burden for you and for me to get us home. My family is, uh, we've got four kids. That's officially a big family. I didn't get an amen from anybody on that. Now, in a big family, kids have to survive by a certain bit of herd instinct, okay? You're past man-to-man. The zone has to work. And when you're, when you're moving somewhere, the kids have got to just kind of get along. Well, one of my sons, I'm not going to name names, but he would have a little bit of trouble with this. And as we were moving along, he would just get sort of off in a different direction, get interested in something, wander off. So one day, I, super dad, decided I would fix all that once and for all. So we were in uh, Bass Pro Shops and we wanted to get in there, get some gear, get to where we were going, and there we went. And, uh, and I saw my son kind of wandering off, getting interested in something else, and I thought, well, no. I'm not going to go back and corral him and bring him along. I'm going to let him taste a little of this. So I went down the aisle and I turned with the rest of my kids and, and I knew he wasn't with us. And I waited and I watched. I thought, oh yeah, as soon as he figures out he's alone, he's going to get scared and come running around the corner. He didn't. I waited a little longer. He didn't. I went back, looked back to where he was. And he was gone. And he was four. And my heart dropped out of the bottom of my socks. And I went into rescue mode. I mean, I went into combat mode, right? As soon as I thought my son was lost, it was combat mode. I want uh, everything locked down. Shut down those elevators, you know, close those doors. I want access to the security cameras. I want a two-mile perimeter around this building. My boy... 
And it took me five minutes to find my boy. Five minutes felt like five hours. And when I had him, and I put my arms around him, and I put my hands on his shoulders, I got down on my knees. I didn't care that he'd wandered off. I didn't care. I wanted to know one thing and one thing only. I'm your dad. And I love you. And if you are ever lost, if you are ever confused, if you're ever in darkness, I'm coming to find you where you are and get you home. And also, don't tell your mom. (laughs) Friends, that's the love of the Father that we meet in the face of Jesus Christ. God is not worried about what got you where you are, where you're lost. He's worried that you're lost and you need to be home. God is not a God who's assessing the risk or counting the cost or worried about the burden that's going to have to be carried to get you from where you are to at home with him. God is a God who pursues. He loves you and he pursues you and he will capture you by his love and carry you home. That's the love of a God that pursues. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your your pursuing love of us and pray that as we come to your table now, Lord, that we would know the joy of meeting you, of being captured in your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.